0: Today, we're speaking with Bonnie Brown, who is the founder and principal consultant of the Humane Network. Bonnie, I'd like to welcome you to the show. Thanks so much,
1: Stacey. Great to be on with you.
0: This is Bonnie's second round with us. She was on the podcast way, way back at number 30. So if folks are interested in hearing about Bonnie's story and some of the things that she was working on almost a year ago feel free to go to the communitycatspodcast.com and in the search bar you can put in Bonnie Brown or number 30 is episode number 30 and you can find that first episode. So today is more of a catch-up day. We're now at 180 plus
1: episodes.
0: So Bonnie, I was wondering if you might want to just give us an update of what's been happening at the Humane Network over the last year or so.
1: Sure, yes. Yeah. So we've been busy. Humane Network focuses on consulting with organizations. We're a nonprofit ourselves, so we're able to offer a low-cost consulting services to animal shelters and also animal services agencies. Lately, we've been doing a lot of work with groups, helping them on things like strategic planning or assessing the processes in their shelter, mostly with a focus to help improve their live release rate to save more cats and dogs. Also, interestingly, lately we're seeing more shelters that are reaching the sustainability phase where they're doing a great job on their live release rate. And they just need some strategies to ensure that their good current status continues. So that includes things like helping groups with marketing some of the tougher-to-place animals, as I know you're aware, Stacy, a growing number of areas, especially in the Northeast, are seeing more of the harder-to-place animals, including senior cats. And so we help organizations work out marketing plans that enable them to save these cats, and at the same time to really grow their donor base so they can be sustainable and and continue doing the good work that, that they're doing. Are you finding the
0: challenges are sitting more in that marketing, fundraising side, and so you're ending up working with, in some organizations, a whole different realm of folks they're not necessarily the folks in operations you're working more in the development department
1: it's a real mix you know different parts of the country it seems are still at slightly different places and even within regions you find organizations that are in different places on the the spectrum and we've worked with a pretty wide range of groups from ones that are just now really trying to improve their live release rates to groups that already are up above 90%. And yes, it does, to a degree, shift as organizations become more successful the challenges change. It may be that you're no longer dealing with a huge volume of animals, but rather with animals that are harder to place. So it, it does, to a degree, become a marketing challenge. But really, that's so important every step of the way. I mean, engaging the public and the community in our work is really the key to succeeding and also to making it sustainable and I know often people seem to worry that they're going to overtax donors that people will become worn out with hearing from the shelter but what we find is if you do things right if you are sending messages and marketing strategies that are really engaging people and inviting them to be part of the organization and if you're thanking them adequately We find it really builds the relationship and really gets people more engaged in your organization, making smaller donors, larger donors, and making occasional volunteers into really dedicated volunteers and advocates in the community. And that, after all, is what we all want. So that's one of the things we love doing, and we find we get a fair number of requests for help with helping organizations really move into that way of communicating with their audience.
0: In the pre-interview before we started the show, we were talking a bit about the stories that each one of these senior cats come in with. And you were just talking about personal connections and relationships with your donors. But you were also talking about making a personal connection and relationship with the cat to tell the cat story in order to be able to fundraise. Do you have some tips on how to do that.
1: That's a great point, Stacey. Absolutely. Photographs are key, and communication between the shelter staff that is dealing with the animals day-to-day and the marketing and public relations staff is so important. It's easy for those two teams to sort of become separated within the shelter, but it's that intercommunication is critical. So really taking the time to meet the cat, get to know the cat, so you can talk about what makes this individual animal different. Perhaps you have some history on uh, the animal's life, what happened before. Storytelling is really compelling for people, and we are sort of hardwired for it. When you think about it, before we had television, and before we had the written word, people shared information and in stories. We naturally gravitate towards them. So telling the story about an individual cat, once you've gotten to know them, and telling people what that animal needs to recover, what sort of treatment is necessary and the cost, and asking people to help is really a critical key. I remember many years ago, Richard Avenzino, who at the time was uh, just starting out with Maddie's fund had said that the key to fundraising is doing good work telling people about it and asking them to help and it's true it's a simple but really accurate description of the of the whole process and and so this falls into the telling them about it piece share with the public the real life stories of these animals and it's much easier to relate one to one. A lot of fundraising research has been done into this point. It's much easier for people to relate to an individual person or an individual animal and their response. Fundraising appeal is much stronger when you focus on an individual. It's just the way our brains and our hearts tend to work. It makes sense, and what we're seeing in sheltering in those shelters that are achieving high live release rates fits perfectly with this very natural human way that we think and process and engage with things uh, that the individual is really important. So hopefully that'll help people, but that's the kind of thing that we do with shelters all the time is, is work with them to identify these animals whose stories you can share and how to tell those stories. And another tip is photos are so important. Getting good photographs. Unfortunately, that's easier than ever before with cell phones and digital cameras. What are your thoughts about video? That's great. Uh, you just want to make them short and and positive too. I'm not doom and gloom or threatening that if people don't give, something bad is going to... No, you want to engage people in the good works that you're able to do and then the message that together we can save this animal. We just need your help. And video is fantastic for that. Just keeping them really short is key. So when you're saying short, are you saying like 30 seconds or three minutes or probably not more than a few minutes. Keeping it to two or three minutes is really easy for people to watch while they're taking a break at work. If you put it on Facebook, it's easy to tell the story in a short period of time. Put your video out there through social media. People, they have a short attention span. So you want to tell the story pretty succinctly and keep the video brief.
2: Does your organization not have a clear vision of what its goals and objectives are? Does it seem like everyone on your board has a different idea of what you should be doing and how to do it? Well, I can help you with a visioning workshop. I offer affordable, quick, and painless strategic planning services for a small organization. I can even offer my services virtually. Are you interested? Just reach out to me at stacy, S-T-A-C-Y, at communitycatspodcast.com. Thanks for all the great testimonials. Keep sending them in and submitting reviews on iTunes. I just thought I would share one testimonial from Wing Chair, a visit to a whole new world. Although I thought I knew something about community cats, TNR, and other forms of outreach to help homeless cats and kittens, every single podcast I've listened to has taught me vast amounts of new material and provided many terrific ideas. It's a wonderful thing you're doing here, so please keep it going. Keep on sending in those testimonials, and thanks to Wingchair for that great testimonial. Also, I'd appreciate it if you'd go to iTunes and post a five-star review there. That would be great help. Thanks so much in spreading the word about the Community Cats podcast.
0: So we're going to turn the tables a little bit, and with spring and summer coming upon us, there were a couple of topics that I would like to chat with you. So I figured I'd share the conversation with our listeners. Great. There's been lots of conversation about making sure that our cats have outdoor time. I've seen a couple of mentions in the press about how if we have our cats indoor only all the time, that's not necessarily the best option. I know it's pretty much impossible in an urban environment. If you're in New York City, having an outdoor venue for a cat might be challenging. But even in, in other areas, what options are out there? There's catios and some other things, but what are the the different options that we have giving our cats some outdoor time? It is so
1: important to their psychological well-being and also their physical well-being. The stimulation that they get from being outside, it's kind of hard to match that in a home, even with lots of play, which certainly is a good thing, interactive play, if you can't get your cat outside. I've met people who have leash trained their cats. A surprising number of cats do adjust to safe harness and can learn to go for a walk outside. Now, of course, you want to assess your own environment. And if that's a good and safe solution for where you live, I've met cats and even had a couple of cats who like to go for rides in those dog strollers, the ones that have a completely zippered sealed compartment and screen so that the animal can see out, but they can't get out. Interestingly, a surprising number of cats enjoy that, going for a walk in a stroller where they're kept safe and yet get to see sights and get a lot of stimulation. Every cat is different though, so you have to assess if that's a good fit for your cat or just stressful for your cat one of the best things you can do, I think, if you have space is to create some kind of a, a catio, there are some really wonderful kits available online that are pretty reasonably priced that you can put together or that you can hire a handyman or get a friend to put together for you. My absolute favorite is Perfect Cat Sense. It's a company out of Pennsylvania, and I've had their products at two of my properties where I've lived Now I have a freestanding one, and I even have two feral cats that I have a little house inside my cat fence, and it successfully keeps them in, so I don't have to worry about predators or them being hit by cars. I don't think it's necessary for all feral cats, but these are cats that I moved with me from Nevada to Massachusetts, Mm -hmm. so I wanted to be sure they stayed there. And my own cats go out and enjoy it too. It's a wonderfully cleverly designed fence and it's virtually, you really can't see it. It, So it doesn't create a visual barrier for your yard. It really just fantastically designed and I urge people to go to their website. They have videos that show how the fence works and it's very easy to install. I actually uh, did it myself with a friend. They also offer smaller kits. So they offer kits that if you already have a fenced backyard, which a lot of people do, you can just put this addition thing they have on the top of the fence, and it keeps your cat inside your already fenced yard. They look good, and they're easy to install. I absolutely love it. But there's lots of products like that online that that give your cat that outdoor time that's so important to them psychologically, as well as physically to get exercise and just to be stimulated and enjoy the sunshine and the good weather that we have coming up. And with spring also,
0: unfortunately, or fortunately for some folks, then it becomes kitten season. Many, many organizations are always looking for foster homes and people to be foster caregivers If somebody's thinking about becoming a foster home, what advice would you share with that person?
1: First off, it's one of life's really great experiences to have the joy of kittens and knowing that you're helping a shelter to save a life. And you know, foster care doesn't have to stop at kittens. For some people, they enjoy fostering adult cats, giving them a break from the shelter, which can also help to save lives in the summertime in some shelters that are really, really busy. Most shelters that have a foster care program will train you in how to take care of the kittens. And if you're needing a refresher or just wanting to learn about it before you consider it, Maddie's son has a lot of great little videos on their site that show people how to take care of kittens. And the great thing is that you can kind of choose your commitment level with kitten fosters. If you are into it, you can take on bottled babies that might need to be fed every two hours. But if that's more of a commitment than you're Up for, you could take in slightly older kittens, and the commitment to keep them would be shorter, just perhaps even a few weeks until they're old enough to be stay neutered and and adopted out. And you can have all the fun of of kittens without having to do the bottle feeding part just by selecting an older group of kittens. Another way some people like to foster is to take the mom and the kittens many shelters have mother cats and to get them out of the shelter and to get the kittens and the mom into a home that's more peaceful, where the kittens can really learn about what it's like to live in a home, can just be a huge life saving difference. For the kittens, they're in that critical socialization period. So to have the chance to grow up in a home where they're exposed to all the things that normally happen in a home, you know, meeting different people, hearing a vacuum cleaner. Just getting used to life in a house makes them more successful when they're adopted rather than a kitten that may have to grow up in a cage. So it's a great, great service to cats. So many people I've spoken to who foster really say it's been one of the highlights of their lives in terms of giving them a real sense of meaning and feeling like they're really contributing and really helping animals very directly. One of the downsides from my perspective about kitten season,
0: though, always meant that our capacity for our adult cat care tended to get a bit reduced in size and scale because we always had to make room in our facilities for the kittens and room in our program. And so there have been quite a few shelters. I know in Massachusetts, you could comment to a nationwide trend, whether it exists or not. That, in July and August, oftentimes there'll be a weekend where the adoptions for adult cats will be free, and they'll do these free adult cat adoptions to help control the overpopulation or the census numbers for right. that. I even believe that for cats over the age of ten, they get adopted for free for the whole month of July from one organization in Massachusetts. So they're even right. like a month-long campaign. Are those campaigns, do they really make a difference?
1: They do, and they're really catching on all over the country. There are a few places I know that do three over three all summer, so any cat three years of age or older. Uh, They make available for adoption for free. And I know a lot of people worry about uh, free adoptions, but there have been several studies now that are published that have measured the bond that people feel to cats that they acquired for free versus cats that they paid a, even a higher adoption fee for. And, you know, there is no real difference in terms of the human bond with a cat that they acquired for free versus a cat that they paid a high adoption fee for. So it turns out that what really matters is the bond is in the adoption process, making sure that the person understands what they're getting themselves into with the cat. And I mean that in a positive way by providing information. You know, one of the keys to adoption success is people understanding animal behavior. So doing that is more important than making sure the person knows where they can get information and help, ideally by contacting the shelter or rescue group where they got the cat for advice, but also there's some great resources online. Just providing that to people is going to make a much bigger difference in the success of the adoption than a lot of intense grilling or charging a fee for the adoption. That's great to hear that that's going on
0: all across the country. That the ideas are catching on in the South. I would assume their kitten season is all year long, so I don't yeah. know if they feel that kind of change.
1: I think it gets a little more intense in in many of the shelters in the south in the summertime, even though they may not get the same break you tend to get up in the northern climates in the wintertime. But, yeah, I mean, it's making a huge life-saving difference for cats. I think the free adoptions and the marketing of adoptions, which has really caught on, has just really been great. And if people are thinking about maybe adding a cat to their home, Summertime is a great time to do it, both because it's kitten season and, and because there are adult cats that end up being overlooked for the kittens. So,
0: Bonnie, if there are folks that are interested in finding out more about the Humane Network, how would they do that?
1: We have a website, uh, humanenetwork.org, or you can email us at info at We'd be happy to talk to anyone about their local community or your shelter if you need help. Is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners today? Oh, just that it's been great to be on the podcast. I absolutely love it. And it's a pleasure to connect with you, Stacey. It's always a pleasure to chat with you too, Bonnie. And I want to thank you so much for agreeing
0: to be a guest on my show. And I'm sure and I hope we'll have you on in the future.
2: I hope so too. Thanks again. The Community Cats Podcast will soon be a year old, with over 200 episodes profiling amazing people who are all making a difference in the lives of Community Cats. If you would like to support the show, but not be a sponsor, feel free to contribute to our efforts by going to www.communitycatspodcast.com and follow the donate link. Help us to continue to provide excellent programming.